to begin this see where it might lead yes it's kind of a Jungian approach it would be i've already asked this question to myself and i have an answer but i would like to ask you this it would be if you matt were to just kind of tune inward and Mm -hmm. tune into your imagination what (laughs) is the first image associated with jurassic world dominion that comes to your brain henry Wu. Same as me. <laughs> Man, I was hoping I, that would happen. All I want to do, all I want to do, is talk about Henry Wu. <laughs> like, I, wait, would you, I, say, would you say Henry Wu? Do you mean in any like particular setting? I mean, I just, I, I, this, this forlorn, downcast-looking man. <laughs> Who has this deep sense of the destruction that he himself hath wrought on the world. <laughs> and he is, he is the only character that had an arc. And I wasn't expecting that at all. Like, wow, you're right. You, like, none of the characters really have an arc throughout the three films for the characters that were in three or two or whatever. But then I, that blew me away that they like cl- seriously devoted. Like attention to him and his character, and I think B.D. Wong needs to be nominated for an Oscar oh, because man. every time I saw him, they never said this, and I there is zero indication that this is the case. But he did such an amazing job acting that every time I see him on screen, I'm like, "Wow, he's dying of terminal cancer." But there's there's no indication that that's the case. But he's just he's so forlorn that it's like. This man is a shell of his former self, and I just invented this character background that he's dying of terminal cancer, and he realizes he needs to fix what he destroyed. <laughs> every single time, I first of all, from the first moment I saw him to every other time, I couldn't even bring myself to laugh as hard as I as I needed to. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was. He was a striking presence in this movie. <laughs> he really was. I knew the answer to that question that I just asked you for myself very quickly after I watched that movie because, like, in the hours following that movie, I realized the only image that kept resonating in my mind was Henry Wu in a wheat field (laughs) redeeming himself and apparently, like, the entire universe. Yes, yes. Very, very Shawshankian. A little uh, Shawshankian and gladiatorian. Oh, it is gladiatorian for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's in, he's made it to Elysium. <laughs> he, has, he has reached Elysium and is reunited with Maximus's full family. Wow. Wow. Oh, my God. See, I was so excited. I knew if there was anything on Earth that I knew, I knew for 100%, for 100% fact that B.D. Wong, that Henry Wu was – he 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 was it for you in this film like i wanted to all i wanted to do is i wanted to talk about him with you yeah he really had the most significant story arc of the jurassic world movies which is i mean kind of hilarious because he's in the first three jurassic park movies for like a minute in the first one it, like he, i don't think he's in two or three at all i was gonna say yeah i don't I, I don't think he is and then is he in jurassic 
world one he is yes they bring him he's like mm -hmm. the guy who makes the indominus rex i think and is kind of like behind jurassic world and like Mm -hmm. it seems like yeah kind of a like his he's morally compromised but not not like in a self-aware way like he's just kind of full-on like submitted to the dark side yes and then then two is he in two as well i was gonna ask you that because i still have zero memory of two (laughs) so do i but i I do remember a scene of him drinking this beautiful amber colored tea i think it was amber colored or maybe i'm just uh imposing that because of the amber that they use to extract the uh, dna from fossilized mosquitoes but i remember him drinking a beautifully colored tea out of a glass mug during like a point when he's giving this like monologue of pure evil, basically about how like, it's so clear that he, and again, either it's one or two, but he is like, he epitomizes sort of the, the, the capitalist industrialist who has no qualms whatsoever, but who happens to be enough of a genius that he can put his brilliance to, uh, to evil effect. (laughs) And so like they had him on this totally evil trajectory and, I just wasn't even expecting him like at all in this movie. And then to see him like sitting in such a way that I, I swear in my memory, he's sitting in a wheelchair, but I know he wasn't, <laughs> but like he made himself look so sickly uh-huh. that he, a cardigan, long hair, just like, what have I done? Sullen face. <laughs> so unbelievably downtrodden. Like you are right, John. Literally that is, he is all I think about. <laughs> When I think about this movie and I saw it like four or five days ago, um, but he's all that I think about. Yeah. Credit to BD Wong for that, because there are a lot of dinosaurs in this movie. There's a lot of random characters and actors and old familiar faces. And BD Wong is by far the standout. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he stood out above, you know, far and beyond the, the original cast that came back in my mind, at least. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess he is part of the original cast. That's Oh, that's true. That's true, yeah. <laughs> Goes back to the early days. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he gets this whole, like, redemption arc. Like, he's kind yeah. of coming face-to-face with, like, the apocalyptic destruction he has wrought upon the Earth. And he, he's basically like a puppet for uh, Dodson. <laughs> Dodson. Wow. Did you catch that in the first, like, minute when they said his name in the in the film? The first time I heard his name said, yeah, my, yeah. I, felt a, I felt something in my body. He's like, Dodgson. <laughs> yeah, Dodson. I know Dodgson. <laughs> I was like, I mean this in the nicest way, in the, in the most complimentary way, but when I heard his name, I was like, fuck you, Jurassic World. I was like, fuck <laughs> you. You did it. You did thank it. you. I wanted to thank them because there was no indication over the, pre, over the subsequent films after the first one that that man was ever going to be referenced again. And it is the same guy, right? It's the guy who gave Newman the can. It's the same guy, different actor. Yes. You know who the actor is who played him in Dominion? Um, no. Who is that? George C. Scott's son. <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't know his first name. General Patton's son. Exactly. Wow. And that guy, General Patton's son, narrates one of my favorite TV shows called Game The of Foods. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He, na- <laughs> he narrates Game of Thrones. <laughs> loves talking about the targaryens uh um i know you're a big got fan sean oh yeah john snow (laughs) (laughs) i swear in a previous episode we had that exact same exchange that we just shared (laughs) that's that's the only reference point john snow (laughs) and uh winter winter exactly Mm -hmm. um 
But George C. Scott's son narrates a show on the History Channel called The Foods That Built America. And it's an over, over, over dramatization of like the rising food industry in the United States. So whether it be Coca-Cola or Mars chocolate or the invention of the drive through whatever it is, it sort of talks about like this aspect of like American economic history. And they're interesting, but like, you know, History Channel viewers aren't, aren't watching for for an interesting educational reason. They want to be entertained. So they make these episodes so dramatic that they're hilarious. They're as dramatic as like soap operas, basically. And there's just like, they're so fully committed to the drama of it all that it's almost like inherently like mocking itself or something. There's like, <laughs> it's just, like, like it could be a satire of itself. Yes. In a way. Totally. See, that, and that, that's the I way like I watch it. That is just like honing in on exactly what this podcast is. Yeah. Because I've been trying to explain it to people recently and like, I'm like, oh yeah, we make, make fun of movies. It like doesn't quite get it, you know, because mm-hmm. like, you can just kind of make fun of any movie. But like, there's a particular kind of movie that seems to take itself very seriously. And in that is just so hilarious. Yes. It's so true. Like Gladiator. Uh-huh. You know, I think that's a good good example, one yeah. that we had a good time with. Yeah. Jurassic World Dominion seemed to take itself pretty seriously. At least Pratt did. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they were just... I, I, I had such a hard time keeping up with this movie. And maybe we can get into that in a second. But I actually have a question for you, Quirk John. Yeah. You had mentioned to me that there was a particular scene, I think, that in which you were the only person in the theater laughing. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh man. You said there were many scenes that made you laugh, but there was one in particular and you just said, you know, keep an eye out for it or something like that. Okay. I have a couple coming to mind already. One was definitely BD Wong in the wheat field at the end, (laughs) like freeing the genetically altered locust that was barely going to like save the crops. (laughs) And it was, uh, Oh, okay. Guess. Yeah. Yeah. You can guess. Did it have to do with the Dilophosaur? Ooh. Do you remember what happened there? I remember a few things with the Dilophosaur, but I'd like to to hear because I laughed a lot at the Dilophosaur, (laughs) basically everything around it. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm I'm glad they used the exact same sound from Jurassic Park one. Like they just copied that audio, which is nice. Um, nice. second, when it went all fan neck on, oh, yeah. uh, on BD, BDH, um, oh, oh, even before that on Bryce Dallas Howard. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then now Chris, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Chris Pratt grabs it by the neck, <laughs> but bear in mind, they've just, you know, uh, Chris Pratt ex machina, you know, they have just stumbled into the right place, uh, from the midst of the dark forest. Right. But, uh, Howard he, was completely alone. Yeah, exactly. Um, he grabs it by the neck and kind of throws it and goes, go on, get. <laughs> it's like, that is a line from a screenplay. That is not a line that a human utters. Go I mean, he's, so, he's such a caricature. Like, Pratt's character is this weird caricature of like, of like, uh, imagine what like, uh, I don't know, f- fucking machismo person thinks a man is, but then they just make him a little tender. You know, like that's what they tried to do with Chris Pratt, I think. Yeah, some like old like Wild West guy who's like also down to settle down and be a good dad. 
Yeah, after kidnapping a clone girl. <laughs> they literally kidnapped her. I mean, they, like, you know, yeah. like, let's not like split her hostage. Here. Yeah. <laughs> For a long period of time in a very remote place with no contact with the outside world and no explanation of why. Yeah, I mean, like, I know Cromwell died. Her her grandfather, whatever. <laughs> She's basically Ray. Like, Daisy's basically Ray since we, in the last episode, we commented that the Jurassic World franchise and the reboots of the uh of uh Star Wars Star Wars wow, I forgot the name of that movie <laughs> they're kind of the same so Maisie yeah Maisie Daisy it, it is Maisie and you Maisie. called her Daisy first which I think is the name of the actor that played Ray Wow, yes, Actress, yes. Isn't it Daisy Ridley? Yeah, you're right. Ooh, another little Ooh. Jurassic World star, Star Wars universe is colliding. Snope. <laughs> Snope. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Snoke. <laughs> Some of you are like one letter off on all these things. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I remember after the first, like, Force Awakens came out, everyone was like, oh, Snoke. Who's yeah. Snoke? Who's, Who's Snoke? Like, this like big headed like projection that is yeah. like dominant over Kylo Ren, and then Ryan Johnson comes in with the second one and just like killed him or something. <laughs> just get like no information about him, and then he's just dead. Yeah, it was so <laughs> it was anticlimactic. The most anticlimactic thing ever. Because <laughs> there were people who were like, "Look at his scar! Like he has a scar here. Vader had a scar there too. Mm. Vader didn't die. You know, could still be Vade." <laughs> and that that actually ties into something I was thinking about this movie. Um, so it seemed like with Star Wars: The Force Awakens, J.J. Abrams, you know, like does all this throwback stuff and like sets up all these different storylines and creates these mysteries, you know, which uh-huh. I personally found pretty fun, like to engage with, and like it got me excited for what was to come a little mm-hmm. bit. It's like, oh, who is Rey? Who's her parents? Blah blah blah. Yeah, and then like. They get a new screenwriter and director who just, like, decided, I guess, that he didn't really want to do any of that. So he just, like, answered everything in a completely anticlimactic way and set up completely different shit that no one cared about. And then, like, it was so horribly received that they brought J.J. Abrams back to try and, like, salvage some of it. And it just didn't work at all in The Rise of Skywalker, which... It's like the second Jurassic World. I literally remember nothing about that movie. <laughs> like, I saw it. Actually, I, I saw it on a TV the other day, and, like, I saw Billy D. Williams at Lando in it. And I was just like, he was in that movie? Like, oh, shit, I completely forgot that they brought him back. It Is that the third nothing. one? Yes, that's the third one. The, okay, because I never saw Skywalker. that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, if you did, I imagine you also wouldn't remember it. <laughs> Maybe but, I did see it. <laughs> that's a good chance you did. But just the the tie-in to Jurassic World is mm-hmm. uh, they had this first Jurassic World movie that Colin Trevorrow did. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, The Fallen Kingdom, that went like all these different directions and brought uh-huh. in a clone girl and like Oliver yeah. Oliver Cromwell <laughs> slash James. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. His great-great-grandson James. <laughs> and, and like all these different plots. And then they bring Trevorrow back for the third one. Yeah. To like go back to some of the Jurassic World stuff wow. and literally erase the plot of the second movie. Like in the second movie, they have this whole story of why the clone girl was created. It was like because <laughs> this guy lost his daughter and he was really sad, so he created her. 
You're so right. Halfway through, B.D. Wong tells her, that's all a lie. Like, this is actually what happened. Like, she was your mother and, like, wanted you to not have the disease that she had. So that entire plot is just fucking thrown in the garbage. Like, that's not a good way to make continuity through movies because then you watch that and you're like, oh, this literally, like, isn't even true what they're telling her. It just it's leads so to such stupid. confusion. I mean, it, yeah. it's 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 akin to like the whole trope of you know whenever you start kind of learning about creative writing in like fifth or sixth grade, when your teacher is like, you cannot end the story by having a character wake up and it all being a dream, like you know, like unless you're Chris Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I never. I never actually put that together. I never actually put together the fact that it was all a dream. Oh, my God. Like, oh, you mean this whole movie that was about, like, traveling to the dream world might have all been a dream? Like, wow, I'm so stunned. I mean, I think I think the thing that just, like, it because the action in that film is so intense, I forget the fact that in reality, it's just six people asleep on an airplane. Like... <laughs> That's all that movie is. Can you imagine that movie from a different protagonist point of view? Like yeah, the flight yeah. attendant? The, the flight attendant. <laughs> yeah. Why are all these people really asleep? Did they take heroin? <laughs> yeah, right. She got Ken Watanabe with a briefcase. <laughs> like, somehow yeah. Killian Murphy's involved. And their Indian friend is scurrying about, like checking their pulses. What's happening? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's like the present moment arc of the movie Inception is like six <laughs> dudes asleep on a plane. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Maybe waking up. <laughs> wow. Oh, it's so funny. Oh, yeah. But I think that gets to the like the total forgettability of these yes. movies because they're they're just such products, you know? It's like yeah just yeah whatever can entertain in this moment it doesn't matter if there's mm-hmm. continuity between them like at yeah. least the first three movies had some <clears throat> continuity like after the lost world jurassic mm-hmm. park they didn't say like oh yeah that san diego incident like didn't actually happen <laughs> like they addressed it earlier in the movie when yes like dr grant's like i have nothing to say about the san diego incident because i wasn't involved it's exactly like, okay cool that still happens in this universe <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not like um I don't really know this very well. Maybe this isn't even a good comparison, but like technically speaking, the fast and furious films are not in chronological order, you know, or what is, it's almost more like, uh, there's a, there's a film series I'm thinking of. I forget what it is, but it's like, you know, well, if you follow this sequel, it, you know, it, I don't know, but I, I don't know what I'm saying. There is something though, that reminds me of this where like a later sequel totally undid, everything and was like that that one wasn't legit that wasn't a that sequel's not in the canon i don't know right. what it is yeah. yeah no that that strikes a familiarity let's mm-hmm. see if we can look that up and toss that in for a yeah. listener but yeah you're right i i was like confused and <laughs> but it didn't really dawn on me at the moment like yeah they just they just literally did away with they just completely did away with the second <laughs> movie basically like the only thing that that really served, the only purpose that served was to get the dinosaurs free into civilization. Um, right, right. Aside from that, that film could just be totally cut from the series. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, the only thing that I remember from the second movie, which was wonderful, was the opening scene. 
And I don't remember much about it. I just remember there was a guy uh-huh. who was alone and fleeing dinosaurs and ended mm-hmm. up dying. And yep. that was just a classic JP intro, you know? Yeah. And freaking this movie, Jurassic World Dominion, had the fucking worst beginning of any Jurassic World movie. It was it was like five minutes of just like exposition. <laughs> it's like I think that I think they must have realized like People yeah, are going to no, be confused. They don't remember it. They didn't see it. No one remembers it. it. Yeah. yeah. Like, no one remembers the second movie. And they actually have to, like, explain what happened through some, like, bullshit, like, news program and, like, <laughs> have, like, some close-ups on the orphan clone girl just to make sure, like, people know, like, okay, this is a character now. <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. And now that you're talking about it, it kind of reminds me of almost, like, the the fake advertisements um, or the fake news stories and, like, Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers. <laughs> Now watch this, or whatever they say. Right, right. Just like set up everything. <clears throat> I couldn't believe it was so fast too. I was like, I almost like started shaking. I was like, I'm not going to be able to remember any of this movie. In part also because that opening, the very, very, very beginning opening, when this dinosaur like capsizes a crab vessel by grab by you know whatever grabbing the crab trap, oh, was yeah. so fast. They like huh. there was no the. This movie didn't know how to do suspense. Like, stuff that should have been slow was fast, and stuff that sh- didn't need to be slow was way too slow. But this uh-huh. was one where it's, like, literally, like, this big dinosaur grabs this crab trap and starts pulling it down, and then, like, instantly cut to the thing capsized. It's like, what? Like, you didn't even show any people on this boat. I don't care about this. It was so re- – and then that's when they get into this literally five minutes of exposition where they just explain the entire series – Ah, they say Dotson. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I'm glad you brought it back to Dotson because that was kind of a a departure point. And now it kind of circled back. And I wanted to just, yeah, say to the listener, just in case you forget who Dotson was, if we hearken back to the first Jurassic Park, we'll remember that that key scene where Newman is sitting at some, like, Costa Rican restaurant outside and he's just kind of like dining in delight by himself and then <laughs> this this man in um with a a, a briefcase briefcase and a polo shirt polo yeah. shirt sunglasses. yeah maybe some sunglasses trying to sits, look like a spy yeah sits down and um and Newman says his name he mm-hmm. says it's Dotson and Dotson leans forward he's like hey you don't want to don't want to yeah. say my name and Newman's like, Dotson, Dotson, we got Dotson here. <laughs> See, no one cares. So that Classic. is the same the same man. That is apparently the uh the, the big big bad guy of Jurassic World Dominion. Yeah. Who has never been in a different Jurassic Park movie or even been referenced as far as I'm aware. <laughs> no, but you know, all these years I did always kind of wonder, like, clearly there was this other organization out there that knew what Hammond and his researchers were doing. What what's up with that organization? Right. And they finally, I must, I appreciate that they they finally brought that back because I think they must have been like, listen, this whole InGen thing. I know I said, oh, I hope they finish exploring that, but I'm kind of glad they didn't. Or man, I don't know, but I I just I missed Donofrio, but still, um, yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, I, you know, they must have just been like, I we need to we need to stop talking about InGen because we keep talking about InGen and doing nothing with it and then just a bad guy dies so that's when they bring up this new fake classic like tech company called Biosyn <laughs> Bi- Biosyn 
And Dotson is the is the CEO. Very much like a reminds me of Tim Cook from Apple. He looked a lot like Tim Cook from Apple. You're right. He did. Yeah. I don't really know anything about Tim Cook, but Dotson had a clearly kind of uh, manufactured persona around people where he seemed just like this like quirky, awkward genius. And then behind doors, he was this evil, sinister bastard. <laughs> so it's like, have you been, have you been like, uh, slowly like forming this outward appearance for like years and years where he literally walked away from Dr. Grant mid sentence? It's like, oh, he's just a likable, awkward little genetic douche. Turns right. out he's a, he's a bastard. <laughs> just a, a gross old white dude who's <laughs> the cause of all the world's problems. So. I feel like this is a movie where we could benefit from like maybe establishing what the plot was because good point. You know, when I think back, it's actually not that clear, but like Biosyn is run by Dodgson. They've got Mm -hmm. this like super duper compound where they're doing genetic research or something like what? Yeah. They're, they're doing with dinosaurs. They somehow are like, they're like the custodians of this like dinosaur preserve in Northern Italy you had mentioned this to me in a text, Sean. Within 10 minutes, this movie went everywhere. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? Now we're here? Yeah, Chris Pratt's like riding a fucking horse through some like snowy landscape with a lasso. Like, <laughs> a herd of yes. uh, so, like, wildebeest dinosaurs. Yeah. You know, and then we're in like Texas where the, we see these um, <clears throat> locusts for the first time. We meet Ellie Sadler again. and um, But yeah, Biosyn has their like headquarters in Northern Italy where they like help this like dinosaur preserve, but they're also, you know, they're, they're doing genetic research to see what the dinosaurs can teach us. That's on the surface. What they're really doing is they're genetically modifying these locusts to destroy all crops that are not from biosyn seeds, basically Monsanto. Monsanto. Is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With, yeah. It's like Trevor O saw food ink and was like, Oh yeah, this is some, this is some good stuff here. <laughs> You're right. But yeah, he basically wants to control global food supplies, which I, th- I think that's about it. Yeah. But these locusts get a bit out of control. Yes. Yes. And that's when we meet the forlorn shadow of his former self, Henry Wu. <laughs> Who realizes the devastation that he has brought to the earth. So in the first Jurassic World, Henry Wu was working for InGen, right? I think so, because I think I don't really know what InGen is or was, but it was actually I think InGen was the company that John Hammond owned yeah, that was doing yeah. all of this. Yeah. Uh-huh. So like they had like the John Hammond original vision that was, you know, Garden of Eden like mm-hmm. and then in the Lost World, it's like John Hammond's I almost called him John Goodman. John, <laughs> come on. John ha- come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> John Hammond's nephew like kind of starts to seize control over Ingen and yeah. is up to some more shady stuff and Goldblum is not a fan. Yes. And uh, I don't think they factor in too much into Jurassic Park 3. No. But then, yeah, they're like back to trying to get to John Hammond's original vision in Jurassic World with mm-hmm. the uh, the Indian man at the helm who like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah. adores John Hammond and wants to just create his beautiful vision of reality of a dinosaur theme park. Yeah. But everything happens badly again. And there's a Newman character with... Is his name Vic Hoskins, Vincent D'Onofrio? 
I know it's Hoskins. I don't. I, Hoskins. I don't know what his first name is. I, I feel like it might be Vic, like V I C. <laughs> I re- recently rewatched some of Jurassic World one, and Hoskins is such a funny character because from the second you see him, you know he's a bad guy <laughs> because he says something like that, like dehumanizes like the raptors or yeah, the yeah. way he like struts in and. But my favorite part in Jurassic World 1 is when he just drinks that guy's drink. Do you remember that? <laughs> That's right. The, the, the throwback guy that the loves his soda. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. funny. Yeah. He's a good villain and they killed him off, which is a bad idea. Oh, I know. I would have loved it. You know, can I do, say one quick aside about Vincent D'Onofrio? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I recently saw a uh, um, an interview with him talking about playing Gomer Pyle. <laughs> In a full metal jacket. Yeah. And um, he said the night before they filmed, Stanley Kubrick gave him some notes, some some of like what he thought his vision was. And they were the exact same ideas that Vincent D'Onofrio had for the character. It was like <laughs> some some English monster film director, like his that guy's style. So like this idea that like that Gomer Pyle would – no longer be a human, but he would have like become in that scene, he'd become like a beast, which he very much does. And so he thought it was like amazing. He was like, I couldn't believe it that Kubrick had the same idea that I did. So the next day they go into shoot and they, they shot that scene three times and they got it. And that's it, which wow. I just can't believe because that scene is God, that scene is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, listener. Yeah. yeah, if you're uh, searching for the reference here, if, if you've seen Full Metal Jacket, it's the final scene of the first half of the movie with uh, the uh, the boot camp that ends in in some pretty pretty horrific stuff yeah. after the total dehumanization of D'Onofrio's character from Arlie Ermey <laughs> over the course of an hour. <laughs> I'm I'm amazed too to hear that that was only filmed three times for two yeah. reasons. One is what you said, like because of how amazing it is, and the second is that Kubrick was notorious for filming scenes like thirty plus times, just yeah. over and over again. Like in The Shining, they would just do the same thing over and over to the point where the actors like were basically losing their minds, and he finally got like the effect that he wanted. Yeah, I mean, I think it was especially hard for Shirley Duvall. <laughs> It was, yeah. Oh man, poor Shelley. Have you yeah. have you seen that Shining documentary? Like, oh god, no, I haven't. Scenes? I want oh, to. Oh my gosh, there's some some interviews with Shelley Duvall on the set, and she like she's like smoking and shaking and talking about how like her hair is falling out. Oh yeah, it's just like oh my god. Yeah, I mean there was that, and like I think yeah, she was having a rough time with Kubrick oh. and like Jack Nicholson being like the mega star that he was, and uh-huh. like yeah. Oh man, rough go, but she really, yeah. she really crushed it in that movie. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, it's interesting that we are kind of going down this quick rabbit hole because an odd theme in my life recently has been rewatching scenes of movies that Jack Nicholson was in. Gosh, and I just, thought you were going to say psychosis. Oh, yeah, just going insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. just gradually deteriorating into yeah. insanity. But I mean, that's that's. uh relevant because he does that so 
insanely well. I cannot even cannot even believe how many movies he plays such a great unhinged person. It's insane how how like I never I don't know. I, I guess I always liked him, but like these days I'm like watching everything with him with such a different point of view. Like the Joker, you know, his fucking character from uh uh the departed you know like oh yeah <laughs> he's so callous it's just amazing it's like any any scenes in particular from the departed or anything yeah. else that have really um you, you <laughs> uh so you you know the departed pretty well right i don't I want do. to give anything away okay yeah yeah so spoiler that, alert listener yeah, if you yeah. haven't seen <laughs> departed i want to hit that fast forward button but then you know the issue you hit that button you'll miss some hilarious joke uh, <laughs> is it worth no. it? <laughs> so anyway, um, that scene that is now pretty famous because of some of the backstory, but when, uh, we got, uh, Nicholson and, uh, uh, Winston, Ray Winstone, um, oh, yeah. and they kill those two people and Jack Nicholson says the, the line, she fell funny. Right. Remember that? Yeah. An ad lib. So, yeah, that was an ad lib. That was all Jack Nicholson's idea. And, uh, in fact, it was his idea to have a guy and a woman originally in the scene, it was just, they were going to show them killing a guy, but Jack Nicholson, he gave all these ideas. There's a great interview with Matt Damon where he talks about the, have you seen this? I've, I've heard, is that the interview with, uh, is it with Mark Maron? Maybe. I don't know. I just caught a little audio clip of it. Yeah. I heard Damon talking about this. So Jack Nicholson was just like, you know, he, he gave all these ideas that would in that small 30 second scene, make the viewer understand more completely who this character was. And I mean, it's amazing. Cause now that's maybe the most famous scene from that film. Um, but so he kills this woman, kills this guy and kills this woman. He makes this comment, you know, she fell funny. And then the camera is like from the angle of the dead people looking up at Jack Nicholson. And he, he has this laugh, <laughs> It is like such a laugh somewhere between like, it's that laugh that like, it's just like such joy, but I don't want to get in trouble. It's like, it's like if you were like a kid growing up, going to church, laughing, like, Uh you know, laughing in church, it's like, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this, but it's just too funny. I have to laugh. It's like that times a thousand. And I'm just like, how the fuck do you pull that off? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's that's good, and it it harkens back to uh, a description I recently read of Roger Ebert about Jack Nicholson, Ooh. and he he described him as having this this look on his face like he always just got away with something. Wow, like that just nails it. It does. That's amazing. Yeah, I I am appreciative of hearing you've been going down some Jack Nicholson rabbit holes recently because I also have (laughs) (laughs) I've I've watched uh, two to three Jack Nicholson films in the last month that I had not seen before more of his later stuff the rom-com kind of stuff like as good as good as it gets but have you have you gone down like rabbit holes of just like Jack Nicholson as like a person in like the Hollywood scene in like the seventies and not really, man, it's, it's insane. It's, <laughs> it's, it's nuts. Like I, I, I won't go into it cause I know we want to probably stay on track, but like <laughs> we could just do a full episode on Jack Nicholson because like he's a guy that everyone knows, like yeah. an absolute megastar who's made like some of the greatest movies ever, mm-hmm. like 
another one where he just plays unhinged so well as One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. Yeah, R.P. McMurphy is just yeah. so fucking good. But yeah, oh man, it's just like insane the kinds of stuff that he was like involved in and the relationships and he was just like would throw these crazy parties where the wildest stuff would happen. Apparently there was a, I think this has actually been proven where there was an underground tunnel from his house to the Playboy mansion. Wow. Yeah. That a specific tunnel made for Jack Nicholson. Yeah. He never gave interviews either. You can't find interviews with Jack Nicholson. So everything we'd like know about him is from like secondhand stories. That's amazing. Not surprised. Yeah. I, you know, I will say last is good as it gets thing. You know how like families always have their inside jokes um, or like things they say or whatever. Yeah. One that exists in my family. And I don't know exactly why we, why we use it, but I think everyone in my family will use this phrase in to represent a specific idea, though I can't really articulate what that idea is. And it's a, a line that Jack Nicholson says in as good as it gets when he goes, Good times, noodle salad. <laughs> Do you remember that line? I, I don't. I don't, which is what makes it so much better that that's an inside joke in your family that, like, that's yeah. not a line that I remember from the movie. It's, it's that scene when he, like, pulls the car over and he's like, listen, he's like, things aren't actually that good. Like, no one's life is actually that good. You think You think everyone's life is... The family getting together, going on a picnic, eating noodle salad. He's he's like, but that's not. No one has that. That's all fake. And like, blah. Then he keeps going on. He's like, all right then. He's like, you know, like it's like a way of like. He's like, well, let's just keep moving on. It's just good times, noodle salad. <laughs> like so, like this was a common thing in your family to just yeah. to just say that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and again, like, I, don't, I don't know exactly why. But it was. I love, the, yeah. I, Sorry, I love the stories of your family's inside jokes, and I think they often have that common theme of like you don't know why that was the thing that <laughs> yeah. you did, but you always did. And it reminds me of my favorite, which is that your family always called David Duchovny <laughs> Java Duchovny. Yeah, <laughs> am, I, am I right in yes. thinking you have no idea why? I have zero idea why. Yeah. <laughs> So, listener, just in case I was laughing, because I, I knew where Sean was going with that. Um, maybe I referenced this in a previous episode, but growing up, my family called David Duchovny Java Duchovny. Like Java as in the you know, slang for coffee. <laughs> and I have <laughs> zero idea why we called him Java Duchovny, but um, yeah, we, we just <laughs> talk about Java. Like, I swear, uh, honestly, one time this might have happened, if not. If not, if this didn't actually happen, it's true enough that it would have happened. I think one time I was watching Zoolander and David Duchovny came on in that scene when he's in Zoolander. That's and my right, dad was like, graveyard. exactly. <laughs> my dad was like walking by or, or watching and he had never seen it. And he goes, is that Java? <laughs> like it got to the point that we would sometimes even refer to David Duchovny simply as Java. <laughs> Yeah, I think the, one of the best parts about that is like that's the first time I've heard that layer of it. But like the second you told me that your family called him Java Duchovny, <laughs> I started calling him Java Duchovny, and so did my girlfriend Alex. And that's pretty much the only way we refer to him now. And like at a certain point, we just started referring to him as Java. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's amazing. Yeah, it's like it's so funny to me because like I, somehow it like makes sense. It like works. You know, it's, it's not like a stretch. It's just yeah. a a really easy shift. Yeah, it seems to, like get at something about him. It's so true. It just it always felt right. Was your family a big X-Files family? I don't think a single person in my family ever even saw an episode of the X-Files. Wow. Yeah. I just assumed that X-Files was always on and that's like where it was sourced. <laughs> and see, that's the amazing thing that like there was definitely a period of time in which Java Duchovny was like not – he's not like he's been in a ton, you know? I mean no. some 90s movies I guess but like pretty much the X-Files and we didn't even watch Evolution. that show. Oh yeah, he Did you ever see Evolution. Ah, uh, yeah, Sean William Scott and Orlando Jones. Orlando Jones. I, <laughs> I, I was trying to remember his name. Yeah, yeah. I played uh, Clifford Franklin in The Replacements. Oh yes, I knew you. You know very well. Oh yeah, yeah. Almost by heart. Ah, Reese Ifans. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, just strikes me that that's the second football-related movie from the year 2000 that I know almost by heart. Oh yeah, so, Titans. Titans. Titus. <laughs> both of them hilarious in different ways man oh man i uh i have to say listener you might you might know this reference if you listen to our previous episode sean put in some amazing sound clips from films and one that really got me is when you did a uh, yosht i got something coming up she's kind of big might just be proud of me you might just forget the fact that you have a restraining order against me, which are not lightly given by courts. That's right. Yeah. And Armageddon. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a classic scene in Armageddon where right before Coach, Coach Yost from Remember the Titans is about to, to go up and shave the world. He's got to revisit his family who has filed a restraining order against him just to, to try and win them back. And yeah. that, that he does. He that does. He does. Typical <laughs> Michael Bay fashion. Yep. Slow motion, American flag waving in the background. Yeah. Now I have a quick, uh, I have a tie-in back to Jurassic World. We were uh, we were going off on Nicholson for a while, mm-hmm. and in our Jurassic World preview, which listener, if you haven't listened to it, give it a give it a little listen. It's it's a it's a good episode. Lots of <laughs> lots of audio clips in that. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears put into that mm-hmm. one for your listening pleasure. So please, please give it a listen. But you raised the question of whether Chris Pratt, whose character's name is Owen Grady, is related to the Grady family from The Shining, which is the yes. family, the caretakers, the notorious caretakers before Jack Nicholson, who uh, murdered his whole family. <laughs> They're basically setting the stage for exactly what Jack Nicholson was going to do. And you, you were asking if uh, Chris Pratt's character might be related and I, I, not even like thinking about that while watching Jurassic World Dominion, I noticed a Shining reference. Really? I believe I did. Yes. Wow. I, I have, I would love to be able to guess, but. It was I, like a, a second, like a, a second. And it just struck me. The image just struck me and instantly evoked the Shining. Wow. I have no idea. I, I hope the listener knows, but yeah, I have, I have no idea because. You know, not as much as JW2, but there's so much of this movie I just don't remember. And, and that's because it was moving so fast. But I was just love. a barrage of Im- images and stimuli that, like, yes. don't register in long term memory. <laughs> exactly. That's a great way of putting it. <laughs> well, there was, a, there was a scene where 
raptors are chasing people and <laughs> just as a quick aside they made they made raptors good in jurassic world you know once yeah. pratt learned how to train them exactly and they brought back some bad raptors in this one because there's like some bad like i don't know like mercenaries <laughs> or something group that like has trained raptors with like a laser pointer or something and yeah they're, they're bad again and there, there's one scene where they're just chasing people all around. Mm -hmm. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, one of them's chasing Dallas Howard. Uh -huh. And she, like, slams a door and runs forward. And the raptor, like, bursts through the door. And there's a second where, like, the raptor's face is in, like, a shattered, like, part of the door. Oh. And it just immediately struck me as hearkening back to the Here's Johnny moment from The Shining. <laughs> it's, like, kind of smiling, too. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. Uh, it bursts through and keeps chasing her. So, I I would not be surprised if that was actually this was Trevorrow, right? This was Trevorrow. Yeah, I wouldn't Trevor be surprised. Trevor Soros, exactly. Uh, Trevor Sorian is what we also called him once way back when. That <laughs> yeah. we just started calling him Alec Trevelyan, who is oh yeah the villain from uh, GoldenEye. Yeah, Bean. <laughs> Sean Bean, Game of Thrones, eh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ned Stark. <laughs> yeah, I heard he died. Uh, yeah, yeah, many people. That's a big, big spoiler. That a lot yeah. of people, like everyone, knew about that. Apparently, that's right. It became a meme about how Sean Bean always dies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Trevor O, uh, he. I mean, there were so many references I caught to previous Jurassic Park movies that, but I also saw somewhere it was like. Some of it was, was I think, kind of tongue-in-cheek by this point. Like, I felt like some of it was like, all right, the people want to see this. Let's do it. Like, they didn't really work very well. But it wouldn't surprise me if he kind of tried to tried to do that. Tried to maybe, you know, throw in a Shining reference here or there. Yeah, it struck me as, like, very intentional. The oh, way yeah. it was framed. Yes, and it was almost like, see this. See this. Yeah. Oh, oh you mean the Shining one? Yes. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's enough proof for your theory that right. Owen Grady is part of the Grady clan. So he will eventually kill Bryce Dallas Howard and Maisie. And the clone, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the clone who maybe is just a daughter. Maybe, yeah. So I don't know. I have to ask Maybe Wu. she's got a twin and then we could <laughs> ask Wu here. <laughs> you kill both of the twins and just... <laughs> I think so, someone needs to make like a Jurassic World spinoff where that's the plot, like <laughs> Pratt, Dallas Howard, and the orphan clone and her twin, who's written into the story, like have to quarantine in some like yeah. remote location, and Pratt can't, you know, work with his raptors and ride his horses, so he just gradually goes insane. Oh God, that would be so hilarious <laughs> if they literally just—they didn't even try and like shield the fact that it was just. The story of Owen, of Delbert Grady and his family. Like, you know, just... <laughs> the scene where Chris Pratt, like, goes to an empty bar and, like, he's like, fill me up, Lloyd. <laughs> you know, something I have to say, and again, listener, you know, if you just popped in out of nowhere and decided to listen to this episode, good for you. But please listen to our previous episode when we were taking guesses about what JW3 would be about. Because, I mean... Like Sean, one of something that I just loved so much, and I love when we do this, is when we say what what we wish a movie would have, or or we bring up like a like a concept for a film, because 
that is always so fun. And like it was with Jurassic World 3, that was more fun than actually seeing Jurassic World 3. Uh Um, but yeah, when we, when we went into our holes, you know, talk of Newman, which like, by the way, I just, it dawned on me really soon that episode (laughs) that we just unironically call him Newman. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think the best part about that is like, I think everyone does. I got I got an email just the other day from Squarespace where we host our website and it uh-huh. gives me some analytics about like the month. Mm-hmm. And it said our most read post from the entire month of June was titled Revisiting Newman's Death Scene from Jurassic Park. <laughs> that was like by far the most clicked thing we ever wrote. And I had a, a friend of mine that I, I saw this movie with and it was he didn't remember jurassic park too much mm-hmm. but like the one thing he remembered and I, I didn't say this first he's like oh but newman <laughs> newman was in that he just got killed it's <laughs> like, amazing yeah. wow you know something yeah. i was hoping for was that there would be a character named newman like, please just <laughs> in this film just as a nod to everyone name a character newman Oh man, that gosh, they should have done that. They should have done that. A character named Newman, or at least like you know, they bring back Dodson. Uh-huh. Like, I did see there were some some hopes not expressed by us, but by others on ScreenRant.com that Newman was not actually dead and could make a return because we never actually see him die. Correct. So I appreciated that. We weren't the only people hoping for a little Newman return. Now, but, yeah. If you yeah. remember, in our last episode, we were talking about this, and I had said that I, I thought I one time heard a rumor about that. Do you remember that? Yes. Uh-huh. So I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was in the early days of maybe post-Jurassic World 2, The Lost World, when it was announced that Jurassic Park two or sorry, sorry, Jurassic Park two. I knew that sounded <laughs> wrong in my head. Um, when it was announced that Spielberg would be directing a Jurassic Park three, and this is kind of the early days of the internet when people would kind of get on and had blogs and there were movie websites and stuff. And there was some speculation. There had been a script that had been bounced around Hollywood previously. And it did involve, I, I, after thinking about it a little bit, I kind of remembered it involved a team from InGen going back to the original Jurassic Park to search out the Barbasol can. So I had said that I thought there was something about Newman maybe still being alive, and maybe that was part of it. But what it originally had been was that they knew that this Barbasol can existed and that it still had the original embryos. So one proposal for Jurassic Park 3 involved this kind of special ops force trying to go back and find the Barbasol can, which I think did technically happen because in JW3, we see a Barbasol can that is clearly worse for the wear. <laughs> it's like, it's still got like mud, like dried mud <laughs> on it. Yes. It's like they didn't even clean it off. <laughs> no, it's, that's the one it, yeah. that Dodson uh-huh. gave Newman. It is the one. That's like, amazing. There's no doubt. Yeah. I was so happy. I was too. <laughs> that was another moment where I laughed so much, <laughs> knowing that you were yet to see yeah. that. <laughs> and that most people in the theater did not have any like memory of that. But that Barbasol can yeah. has factored 
into so many moments of our podcast <laughs> and so many of our hopes and dreams for like future Jurassic Parks. In, in fact, I, I believe I recall in our Jurassic World 1 episode, which is the second episode we ever did, the first like movie episode uh-huh. that we did, it was in like 2015 or 16, mm-hmm. that <laughs> we were kind of like riffing about how like they have just like so many freaking like throwback references to Jurassic Park. And we were like making a joke about how they they should have had like a Jurassic Park museum where like all these like relics from the first Jurassic Park movie were just like in glass cases. And we, <laughs> I think we said two things specifically. They would have like Samuel L. Jackson's arm. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. And, and the Barbasol can. Wow. And we were just freaking laughing our asses off at how like ridiculous that would be. And this movie basically did that. It basically did. <laughs> So that's, wow. that does bring up a question for me. Do you think, like, because we have evidence of that being our idea, do you think oh, we have grounds to sue you're right. Trevorrow? Yeah. Uh, we knew you were listening, Trevorrow. Uh-huh. You, know, you must have accidentally maybe were at a cocktail party and you just casually heard Roland Emmerich mention our names and you said, <laughs> now I'll give it a listen. <laughs> yep. Well, yep. You know, I had a thought the other day. Maybe it was this morning or something. And speaking of our favorite decapitated arm in all of Hollywood history, <laughs> there is zero indication. Here's 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 what I love about. I will say, movies have gotten so trite in many ways, but um, a lot of times, movies, especially these big action blockbuster movies, they operate on the same rules as like uh, Air Bud. Remember that film? Yes. The, the concept of Air Bud was there's no rule that says a dog can't play basketball. Therefore, a dog can. Well, a lot of these movies operate on something similar where it's like, well, we didn't see that not happen. Therefore, it could have or something like that. And Mm -hmm. so mine with that is we never saw Mr. Arnold's deceased body. He might he maybe he only got his arm ripped off and then he fought off the raptor (laughs) and he is still alive. They should have brought back. Samuel L. Jackson with one arm oh or a prosthetic oh, arm, a prosthetic arm like yeah. Vader. Uh, I, was, I immediately went to uh, Mortal Kombat with Jax. Jax. Jax has like a metal arm. Oh my God. Jackson. <laughs> His name's still Jackson. <laughs> Jackson. The best way they could have possibly brought him back to is if in that moment when the Dilophosaurus is about to... <laughs> Killed by Dallas Howard. You just see this metal arm come in and choke it out, and it cuts to Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, hold on to your butts. I mean, yeah, hold on to your butts. Yeah. yeah, he wouldn't say, you know, get. No. Oh my God, Sean. Wow. Why didn't they do that? It's just. I mean, one of many missed opportunities. They could have made this movie quite possibly the funniest movie in years, but instead uh-huh. they just opted to make it an just uh, just a cash cow you know and that's not that's vapid that you don't even remember and shit like that but it literally could have been the funniest film in the past 20 years (laughs) it had the the opportunity it had the capital (laughs) can you imagine (laughs) newman comes back jackson it bridges (laughs) it bridges with mortal Kombat, and it ends with uh christopher lambert as as lord raiden Shang Tsung. Yeah, Shang Tsung, like in the clouds. (laughs) (laughs) 
exactly. Oh my gosh. We get a freaking like cinematic universe of Mortal Kombat and Jurassic Park where like freaking like Sub-Zero has to fight like the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Oh, the opportunities are endless. Yeah, and if only they had the the gall. Yeah, if only they had the stones, they could have done it. <laughs> but let's not forget that we also said it would it definitely would have somehow uh merged with Star Wars. Yeah. And I think just for fun, Wild Wild West. I think that'd be a good one to bring in. Yeah, you said yeah. the time travel thing. I mean, they should they should have uh-huh. done time travel. And you're so right. Why like, not? if you can clone a deceased animal from almost nothing, from a tiny speck from a mosquito, who's to say this world doesn't have time travel? They should have done mm-hmm. time travel. Oh man, yeah, just get Doc Brown appearing. <laughs> <laughs> We're going. You don't need robes. The T two, <laughs> the T one thousand. Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick was who's that? I think well, I think he's the I think he's Metal Man from T two. Oh, that guy! <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that character. It's amazing. It's yeah. such a good character. You know, someone pointed out that um, that actor Robert Patrick, he training for that that movie because there are so many running scenes with that character. Yeah, he runs in such a freaky fucking way. And someone pointed out that he learned, he trained himself. First of all, he ran a ton to train for this film so much so that, uh, Cameron had to tell him to slow down sometimes because they couldn't, they couldn't film him well enough because he was running too fast, which is amazing. <laughs> He's running like a nine, five, 100. <laughs> Just sprinting. God. Get this guy in the yeah. Olympics. But he also trained himself to run. Without blinking and in such a way that you couldn't see him breathing. And that is what makes it so creepy because as wow. he is running, there is no, no effort, uh, no effort. He, he, he doesn't have to breathe. He's a machine. And it's just like, wow. Looking back on it, I was always amazed at how, how frightening I found that character to be. Now, how did he train himself to like pull into metal on the ground and move through crevices and doors and then like rematerialize? <laughs> to shove his long sword hand through uh, John Connor's foster mother's mouth. Oh, man. Oof. Or maybe it was the dad. Listen, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Listener, if it's been a bit since you've seen T2, uh, you. Well, you should finish this episode first because there's some good stuff yet to come, but then go immediately to watching it because that movie is the one of the most amazing action movies I've ever seen. Like, maybe it's just it just feels perfect. It like, does. It's it's just like the epitome of an action movie. Yeah. It's so awesome and not like, you know, Fast and Furious awesome where yeah. it's like, whoa, that car exploded over there and Dwayne yeah. Johnson chokeslammed that guy. It's like... <laughs> It's just it's so perfectly done. <laughs> right, Dwayne Johnson choke slams a guy in a scene. I, I remember that because <laughs> I just made that oh, up. Oh no, but... he does. Yeah, or actually, he does a rock bottom, which was his move. So it's he doesn't choke slam it with his hand. He like wraps his his elbow, he curls his arm around their neck. But yeah, he does it. Wow, they did a full on throwback to, <laughs> yeah, to w- WWF. WWF. Yeah. <laughs> wow, if they got Vin- Vince McMahon's permission. <laughs> Don't you mean Vic Hoskins? <laughs> but you're you're right about T two. That yeah. movie, you know, we. I must say, you know, 
You, we, we've we've busted Cameron's balls once or twice on this podcast. It's a fun thing to do. It's a fun thing to do, but that fucker can make a movie oh, like geez. like no one else. He can, he can. You know, and great snobbing movies too. Because yes. I mean, Avatar is just like so ripe for the snobbery. But mm-hmm. I love watching Avatar. Like, so do I. Yeah, it's so good. And the fact that like he can just like now finally announce like. Avatar 2 is being filmed. Mm-hmm. And like people are still really excited about that. Yeah. It's amazing. Like 12 it years later, 13 years later, like Yeah. Dude, yeah, he's got some skills. I I think that T2 is considered one of the best uh sequels. You know, yeah, like like better than the first. Very, yeah. You know, I know The Godfather Part 2 is often considered in that realm, but there are not many where the sequel is considered better. Top Gun 2. Oh, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard it's great. Yeah, that's that seems to be the general consensus that TG2 wow. is better than TG1, and I must say that I wholeheartedly agree. I'm excited. Yeah, I... I took so long to see Top Gun. I just never would see it. Mm. I was like, that sounds so dumb. Like, there's no way that movie is good. And mm-hmm. I finally watched it, and it was it was fine. It was like, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And then I watched it again and, like, laughed at it and stuff. But, like, it's not a movie that I, like, rely on religiously. Like, this guy that I went to college with, whose nickname was mm. Top Gun, because he had uh, he was known to ask girls to come back to his dorm room and watch Top Gun with him. That was his, that was his move. <laughs> he was, uh, he was in ROTC. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That, so that was my general association with Top Gun. Yeah. And then I saw Top Gun Maverick, like the second day it came out. Mm-hmm. Oh man. It's, it is a, a movie worth seeing on the big screen. Wow. I mean, Fucking Tom Cruise. I know. Uh, again, you know, Creed. another guy. Say what you want about him. That fucker will do anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you know what I think would be a good idea? If I learned how to uh, become an expert helicopter pilot for this scene so I could fly through this canyon <laughs> at the peril of my own life. That guy must, like, have risked his life to, like, extreme levels, like, hundreds of times like most of his movies involve that like several times and he's just like yeah i'm gonna do that like still the dude's like what 50s 60s like yeah yeah i mean he's like 55 it's it's crazy like yeah he's he seems to be a psycho in many ways and (laughs) like the fact like what he's done in in movies is pretty unreal like to be a like like Top Gun 2 is like the highest grossing movie of the year. Like it's more yeah. than Jurassic World. And he's been doing that for like four decades. Like the biggest action movies of the year. I can't believe it. Yeah. Except for The Mummy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the two Toms have good screams. Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. You're right. Very different screams, but they both make me laugh. Is there a, a third Tom? You know, I, th- I feel like often there are trifectas. Tom Skerritt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you're right. He didn't so much scream, but when he quietly reprimanded Brad Pitt and a river runs through it, <laughs> it was as if it was a scream. <laughs> he was a master of the silent scream. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. You're right. Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, and Tom Skerritt. The, yep. the, those are the three screamers. Mm-hmm. But you know, dr- coming back to uh, Jurassic World Dominion, you know, it's it's easy sport to rip on, and like it it is very deserving of getting ripped on and snobbed about. Mm-hmm. And I must say that I w- was very pleasantly surprised with the movie. So was I. Couldn't believe it, actually. Yeah. In fact, I left the theater like thinking, I, I liked that movie. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. <laughs> I was so shocked at that. Yeah. Like, I, I went in, like, I was so completely sure that I wouldn't like it that, like, you know, it w- I wasn't even open to liking it. It was just like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to like this movie, but I'm going to, like, make fun of it a lot and that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. And, like, the first scene with the freaking, like, five or 10 minutes of exposition. I was just like, Oh my God, this is going to be so boring. And the moment that something shifted was the first moment that we saw Dern. That's right. That's right. You know, we got Pratt and stuff and it's like, okay, yeah, of course Pratt's like lassoing dinosaurs and Uh like, there's this guy spying on him Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, we're, I guess we're about to meet the bad guys soon. Right. Dallas Howard's got a challenging relationship with the girl that she kidnapped and (laughs) like, okay, I don't feel anything about that. Mm -hmm. Right. When it saw Dern, like, like my entire like state shifted and I was just like, yes, it's Lord Dern. Right. Like. Hell yeah, Laura Dern's back. Then we got Neil, and I was just mm-hmm. like, it's Grant. It's Dr. Grant. It's Grant, yeah. And I felt legitimately excited to the reveal of Malcolm. Like, I feel like Me each too. of those characters got like, you know, it wasn't just like suddenly they appeared. It was like they got respectfully um, brought right. into the movie. They did. It was, they were respectfully brought back. And I was very, like, I very, I obviously knew they were going to be in this, but like, mm-hmm. I didn't even think about it. But I was so surprised at like, how how good that made me feel i agree it was it was really good and you know much to my delight and surprise you know my prediction was wrong that ian malcolm was not simply comic relief he still had that that cynical chaotic wit that we uh that we loved but he wasn't just a caricature of that so i enjoyed yeah, that yeah see i i would agree with that until mm-hmm. the last 30 minutes oh yeah you're right <laughs> Yeah, he like had a role in the plot, you know, he's like working for Biosyn, like, which is ridiculous. Like that guy, there's no way that he yeah. didn't think Biosyn is like evil and doing the exact same things. But exactly. he gets this, this cush gig where he just like lectures about chaos theory yes. to a bunch of like <laughs> he's, he can, he's, young he's women. Saying, yeah, saying the stuff that he's already said. And then they give him a standing ovation. <laughs> They're like two feet from him. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they like make much like a bunch of references to his character and different mm-hmm. people's thoughts on him. And like, yeah. oh yeah, I don't know. He's he's, yeah, he's out there, but he's, he's a challenging good. guy, but he's brilliant. And like he's got this role in the plot. Like he brings Dern to the Biosyn headquarters so mm-hmm. that he can like reveal to her what's really going on with these locusts. Yeah. And unbeknownst to Goldblum, Dern brings along Grant. And (laughs) yeah, it's it's a bit of a stretch maybe, but she did. She just wanted to reunite with old Alan for this. And I've (laughs) Alan, (laughs) (laughs) we need to make a little audio of the Raptor in the nightmare scene from uh, Jurassic Park three saying Alan followed by John Hammond screaming Grant Grant. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The full Alan Grant name. But uh, I, I loved that. Like, Jeff Goldblum was not happy to see 
Grant, uh-huh. who's like very, very like third wheel vibe. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought I invited you alone here, Laura Dern. That's right. like, what's, what's she doing here? <laughs> hey, it's good to see you. I'm here. <laughs> gonna get a. He like even like yeah. they go up to the coffee bar and he like offers <laughs> to pay for Dern's, but like not Grant's. <laughs> That's right. I thought that was so funny. Yeah, you but know then, what? Like, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, just just to tie it to the the point of departure about being a caricature. Once the um, the coming together of the Jurassic Park characters and the Jurassic World characters happened, which you know, of course, was inevitable <laughs> and unbelievably forced and improbable. Yes. <laughs> like, At this like weird like uh, like uh, house in the middle of the woods or something. Like yeah, sort of center of some kind. They're, yeah, they're research like in, center. Yeah, they're like in a jeep, hearkening back to the jeeps from the original one, and they like mm. roll off the edge, and like none of them get hurt, and they emerge, and they're just like with Pratt and Alice Howard, like they just happen to catch some mud and a You're little right. landslide, like right at the right spot. God, and at that point, Goldblum, I think, exclusively was making like meta references to like what was happening. The first one I noticed was, I think he's talking to to Pratt or something, and Pratt says something about Jurassic World, and Goldblum's like, oh, Jurassic World, not a fan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) I laughed really hard at that. Yeah, yeah, it was good. And then at that point, uh, he might as well have looked in the camera. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, he may as well have looked in the camera, yeah. He's like only commenting on like, the differences between the movies and you're right. <laughs> you're right. Oh my, I totally, I kind of missed that. Cause I guess I was stopped. I just like stopped paying attention, but that is totally what happened. <laughs> you're just, just waiting for BD Wong to come back. I, that's all I, that's all I wanted. I just wanted to see poor BD Wong, just that shell of a man. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, freaking Goldblum. He, um, they were like, he was so much just the quipper of the rest of the film that I swear for the most part, he was only ever in whenever he spoke, the camera was just on him. So it like uh-huh. it wasn't even that it was like <laughs> something that involved the plot of people. It was just like literally like the character from a Shakespearean play, like <laughs> stepping out so the audience can hear him. Like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it would just like cut to him and he'd say like a two second line, like uh, just like making some clear meta reference and then just go back to the plot happening. Yeah. God. Yeah. And they, I guess, brought him back in when, like, they're escaping from the, uh, what's it called? Like, the Gigantosaurus or Gigatodoronosaurus or something? No idea. It's like the new new alpha dinosaur in town. Yeah. And I will say, to the film's credit, like, I thought the Jurassic World Indominus Rex, like, kind of sucked. Like, wasn't that cool. The second one, where it was, like, an Indominus Rex mixed with a raptor or something like it was like an extra layer was even worse and this one they did go back to like a real there's a real dinosaur so they weren't just making these like you know constructed hybrids and i I thought that i thought that dinosaur was pretty freaky yeah like it kind of kind of brought some of those old fears up but goldblum comes out with a giant Mm -hmm. torch when they're all about to get eaten just like in in the first one with the flare yes but he's learned he's learned he doesn't uh Run with it and get catapulted into the yeah. uh, place where the lawyer is not shitting. <laughs> oh, did you look it up? <laughs> I did. Yes, uh, you were correct. He is not uh, taking a dump. I mean, I remember us having a strong, long conversation about this, but I yeah. must, maybe I looked it up afterwards or something. But 
uh donald gennaro the kid donald the, gennaro yeah. the act that the uh the, 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 the lawyer yeah the character yeah, I thought he was taking a dump because I had a memory of like his hairy legs. Yes. And so I thought that meant like his shorts were down his ankles, but his shorts are actually just pretty short. Like Muldoon's. Just like Muldoon. Game yeah. Warden Muldoon, yeah. <laughs> kind of riding mid-thigh when he got eaten. Yes, that's true. You know, there was a this is not so much meta to the Jurassic Park world, but just meta in general. When they're in a cave, I don't remember who or why exactly, but definitely Alan and uh Ellie. And, and Maisie, Maisie, and Dr. Sadler, who at various times was called Ellie, Allie, and then Sadler and Sattler. Like, <laughs> I just I'm couldn't like, figure it out. Couldn't figure out what her name was. Um, but uh, they're in a cave and they're like, they need an extra light. And in a very kind of tongue in cheek way, someone holds up like a stick and like a piece of cloth. Like, because everyone knows from films, they just like wrap a cloth around a stick and then they have a torch. But like Indiana Jones style. Yes. But that doesn't work. You need an actual like combustible thing in there, like oil or something. So I thought that was like a funny wink and a nod to the audience. Like, here, Alan. And I was like, I thought she was making, I think it was Ellie. I thought she was making a joke. And then literally the next scene, he has a torch. And I was like, this is, this is funny. Like that made me laugh because a fucking old dry cloth would just instantly burn. So yeah, that cave um, is another classic Grant moment where he just knows, like, it just has this knowledge of like what's happening and where they are. Like, you don't <laughs> really know why. Like, they get down there, like, where are we? And he's just like, we must be in the old amber mines. Like, <laughs> 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 just when he finds the eggs, like when he finds the eggs in the first one, he's yeah. like, oh, these frogs have been known to change sex through yes. their life. So dinosaurs can be female or male yeah we simply denied them that bd wong bd wong yeah jp1 but i i I would like to say just a little thing about grant Mm -hmm. dr grant when we talked about jurassic park we uh i think i think especially especially me might have uh kind of gone on a bit of a rant a grant rant <laughs> a grant rant <laughs> yeah just kind of ripping on him yeah yeah it kind of sucks <laughs> and this movie made me appreciate grant more i had a little uh little reappraisal of mm, grant that's nice and that was something that i appreciated about this movie i felt like they got they got like the core of grant mm-hmm. and I, I don't think i really like realized it what it was until this movie he's just like this this guy who when like in times of trial He's he's a good guy to have around. He's got this kind of like protector energy or something. Yeah. And there's a nice moment in this movie where they're like all climbing up a ladder away from the big bad dinosaur and Goldblum's the last one and the ladder, you know, shatters and he's about to fall to his death and a hand comes in and yes. catches him. Yeah. And it's Grant. Yeah. And right when I saw the hand, I knew it was going to be Grant. <laughs> Even though Malcolm has been such an asshole to this guy ever since he arrived and mm-hmm. Grant does not like him, he prizes his life over letting him fall to his death. It's true. And he's got this kind of genuine look on his face and he's like, I gotcha. That's right. I was like, that's right, Grant. Grant's gotcha. Yeah. That felt like, um, that scene felt like the completion of an arc that, that began way back when in 93 in that Jeep when Goldblum inquired about the uh, relational status of, of Dr. Sandler. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Which, I can't remember if that was just before. I think it was just after he poured little bits of water on Dr. <laughs> Dr. Sadler's hand. Am I going too fast for you? <laughs> Are we going too fast? Are we going too fast? I go too fast. 
<laughs> as he's twirling her hair. <laughs> oh, man. Although I forget. I think you brought this up. Again, at this point, we have talked about so many Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movies and whatever that, like, we some of our inside jokes about these films are like multi-layered and, but anyway, at some point I love that you brought up the fact that like, it's that scene is so funny that Dr. Sadler is like amazed at like this thing he's showing you. Like she's a scientist. She's a very well-respected scientist. Uh And, and he's just putting drops of water on her hand. (laughs) And she's like astounded that, that they're not like flowing the same direction. Yep. (laughs) Alan, look at this. <laughs> Alan, you got to see this. This is amazing. <laughs> that wouldn't even like impress like a five-year-old. <laughs> You're so right. You know, I was I was thinking the other day, I wonder if there's a decent chance we have talked about Jurassic Park and Jurassic World movies more than any other podcast. You're right. Now, there could be a, a, a podcast specifically devoted to them. We'll have to look into that. But That's true. We got to be in the top tier. We got to be, yeah. Which makes us pretty much the go-to scholars. Yeah, you're right. God, ah, that's we should just brand ourselves as that because I think you're right. I mean, I th- I th- don't think this story is done. No, we're gonna do a spinoff of that 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 girl that the pilot. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The pilot. She, she got it. <laughs> yeah, got a new plane. Spray painted a two on it. So she's Han Solo, basically. I mean, that's that's who she, she was. Han Solo. She was Han Solo. Yeah, she was the uh, involved in the underground, like mm-hmm. the whole like underground dinosaur trade scene was like right. It was yes. a carbon copy of the scene where you meet Han Solo. Exactly. It, I was like, even before we stepped in there, I was like, this is going to feel just like that tavern, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it did. <laughs> like, even like similar music. Yeah, even so. aliens playing weird flutes and smoking hookah. <laughs> And the Star Wars J JW crossover. There we go. Exactly. You know, I have to say something I loved about that weird underground uh, black market dino place was just that, like, occasionally you would see this like large burly man in the back just eating like meat off of a spit, and it was like <laughs> he's just eating dinosaur. It was That's so great. fucking funny. Because they're just cooking dinosaurs and they're selling dinosaurs, and the scene when like dinosaurs are getting loose and Chris Pratt's chasing that bad guy, like. I loved watching the extras in the background because there was a scene like clearly shit was happening. Dinosaurs were loose chasing people, but other people in the background are just like still doing business transactions. And that's when I saw a guy just like eating meat off of a spit. And I was like, are these people's that clueless? Or like maybe when they directed it, they were just like extras, just do something. (laughs) (laughs) We need to like make this feel like the most depraved place in the world right now. Yeah. One last little uh, Star Wars thing that crossed my mind while I was watching this movie. I felt like this had some parallels to Return of the Jedi. So Return of the Jedi got some kind of flack for having just like so many ridiculous creatures that were just like factored into it. It was just insane how many like dumb creatures. And I feel like this movie kind of did that with dinosaurs. True. were so many new dinosaurs. Like, it, yeah. there was like an hour-long section in the middle where I'm pretty sure every scene or almost every scene was like characters 
like navigating a new place, usually just like trying to get to another place. Yeah. And then there'd be like a new dinosaur that just kind of like pokes its head out in the background. <laughs> yeah. Like, Ooh, it's, it's stalking them. Like, like each dinosaur had like its own like special power. Like this is like secret ability. Like you get this one that can like swim really fast underwater when Chris yes. Pratt falls through the ice. Yeah. In the cave, those the weird like kimono dragon dinosaurs or whatever. Yeah, you just see like its big jaws fin like in the water. Yes, exactly. The old dinos lurking in the shadows is basically yeah. like a huge part of this. Yes. Movie. During that underground scene when Pratt is chasing that guy, did you catch the reference to JP two? I did not. So there's a scene when, you know, Chris Pratt is chasing this dude and they're falling over and they're falling into cages and dinosaurs are getting let loose. And then Pratt falls over and he starts getting attacked by these dinosaurs. And they are the small dinosaurs that attacked the little Spanish girl at the beginning of JP2. Those little green things. The little green ones. Exactly. That's right. And he even gets up and they're like 20 on him and he's like hitting them off. And and I was like, JP2. JP2. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They attacked that little... Uh, Spanish girl, and you know who they also attack? Stormare. <laughs> Peter Stormare. Yeah. Who is a listener, if you're not uh, not catching that reference, he's the guy from Fargo, who's yeah. Steve Buscemi's very silent and psychotic sidekick, who ends up putting Steve Buscemi's still socked foot into <laughs> meat, Mr. <meat> Arnold. <laughs> wow. The light just keeps on layering out. It does. Steve Buscemi's foot is is the leg version of Mr. Arnold's arm. <laughs> but I think we do pick up enough information in Fargo to know that Steve Buscemi is quite dead and that it's not just yes. his severed leg and that he might be <laughs> hopping around with one leg somewhere. His like, face all mangled. Like, <laughs> that is true. Yes, he is certainly dead. But yeah, Stormare in Fargo. What a psycho. Grayer or Gare? Gare Grimsrud is that character's <laughs> name. Grimsrud. Grimsrud. It's such a hard word to say. But God, that character makes cigarettes look good. Even when he says his own name, it's like almost like he's mumbling, but yes. like kind of saying a name. It's like Grimsrud. <laughs> the Coen brothers are pretty like untouchable in terms of like creating these like this unique kind of like just total crazy like psycho bad guy i mean i guess they didn't create the guy from no country for old men Mm -hmm. i guess cormac mccarthy but they freaking brought him to life with javier bardem yeah i had a dream uh about uh, a week or two ago that anton sugar was uh, coming after me and i was so fucking frightened i woke up like like you know uh what do you call it? Heaving or not heaving, but uh, hyperventilating. <laughs> Your whole body was like spasming. Because like, the heat in that movie is just such the definition of actual evil. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. In the dream, did you like see him or was it just like a knowledge that he was following you? <laughs> I saw him and we had interactions. And I think what happened is I said something to him. And I, I knew who he was, like, because I had this knowledge of the film, No Country for Old Men. So, you know, that exists in my brain. And I said something to him that I knew set him off. But he doesn't get angry. He doesn't appear angry. And so then I, I knew that I had to flee from him. But I knew that he would always be chasing me. So that was the dream, basically. The fact that the knowledge that Anton Chigurh was going to always be chasing me. 
It was frightening. It was it was the scariest dream I think I've ever had. Yeah, I imagine so. That reminds <sighs> me of like one of the scariest dreams I ever had when I was held captive by Darth Maul. Oh, that's right. <laughs> It's like funny thinking about it, but I remember yeah. the experience of dr- yeah. the dream. I was like s- horrified beyond like any possible description. Yeah, I can imagine. That would yeah. be horrifying. Another silent assassin. Yes, a phantom menace, you might say. <laughs> a phantom menace. But unlike Shigur, Darth Maul can be conquered. He can, in fact, be mm-hmm. cut in half. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if Shigur, if Shigur is chasing you, like, you know you're going to die. Like at some point he will get you. That's the thing. And that's, that's what makes him such the epitome of evil. I think it's it's, it's a literal unstoppable force. Right. Yeah. Even the end of the movie, he's like so mangled up, like he's got like bones sticking out of him from that car crash. And he just kind of like limps off continuing on his mission. Like so frightening. I think often of that scene in no country for old men, when he is sitting right next to Woody Harrelson and Woody Harrelson, I can't remember his, his role in the movie. They have some like prior relationship and mm-hmm. you just see in his face, he knows through and through that he's done for. And Shigur's just like got that crazy gun on him yeah. and he's just like smiling. And Woody Harrelson starts to get kind of desperate and he's like, yeah. uh, whatever it takes, you know, all the money in the world, yeah. I'll give it to you. And... I, Chigur says this line that like is just stuck with me forever. It's, I can't remember it verbatim, but it's something like, "If the rule brought you to this, what good is the rule?" Yeah, yeah. If I, 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 I was gonna guess that that could be it. I think, I think it might be if the rule you followed brought you to this. Of what use was the rule, or something yeah, like that. That sounds right. Because I remember I that that line is seared in my mind too. Do you? Do you have any like meaning of that line? Like what he's saying with that? I, I not really. I mean, I, it seems like, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it seems like it could be like a total utilitarian read of like, you know, clearly what you did led you to a bad place cause you're about to be dead. But I, I feel like it can't be as just as simple as that. You know, like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I've thought about it a lot and I feel like it gets into like one of the greatest parts of the Coen brothers, which is that like, just through all the chaos of their their movies there's always this like underlying question of like values and morals and like the nature of the universe and like when the universe kind of like the forces of the universe like threaten your most like deeply held values and mm-hmm. and really even your like deeply held constructs of reality yeah. like i think of uh gopnik from a serious man you know, he's like, so uh, he's like, doing yeah. that complex physics equation on the board. And he's like, and when this becomes this, then we have this. Like, it's like everything is like definable and explainable by these proofs until mm-hmm. Clive shows up in his office and demands that he gets his grade raised to a C and tries to bribe him. And then the whole fabric of his like certain understanding of the path he's on and the family he has and the tenure he's about to get just like unravels scene by scene into like increasingly unexplained inexplicable chaos yeah it's so true they they managed to explore that that type of theme through all of their films including even the like most simplest one even the you know like even like raising arizona which is like kind of like a funny sorry i think 
that talk of Anton Jagger freaked me out because I like keep thinking I hear something over there and I'm getting freaked out. <laughs> if, if I freaking saw him burst through that door behind you right now, that would be very scary. It'd be very scary. I would know that would be the last time I'm seeing my good friend, Matt. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Just, uh, he would Steven root me. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Steve, I know Stephen Root's the guy who plays Milton in Office Space, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know the reference you're making. He he plays a character in No Country for Old Men. Uh, Stephen Root? Guy, yeah. He, he's a, kind of a big shot who's behind a desk. And Anton Chigurh bar, uh, barges into his office and shoots him. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that by chance? I, I have a vague memory of that now. Because I think about this one, Stephen Root is having a, a meeting with an accountant, but Anton Chigurh is exacting revenge on Stephen Root for one reason or another. So he kills Stephen Root, and he's like dying, and Anton Chigurh stands over him and watches him die, which is so creepy. And I remember then, that now. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then the accountant is just like, he's like, Anton Chigurh asks him a few questions, and then he's like, who are you? He goes, me? He's like, accounting. He's just like horrified. And then the accountant goes, are you going to kill me? And Anton Chigurh slowly turns and he looks at him. He goes, that depends. He goes, do you see me? Oh, I'm just like, oh my fucking God. He's just like evilly toying with this man. Cause like clearly he sees him, which I think is his way of, I think it's his like funny question, comically ironic question. Like, well, if, if you don't see me, then you can't, pin it on me so no i won't kill you but he just slowly turns and stares him in the eyes oh, so man. horrifying <laughs> and he it's it's like he he's evil embodied but he like but not like just the michael myers type like there's some yeah. similarities you know like stalking you endlessly until like he kills you but mm-hmm. like not for the sake of like just killing it seems like there seems to be some kind of like moral code by which he abides like it's yeah. it's horrifying but like the scene with the the coin flip yep mm-hmm. you know that super iconic scene like it's there's so much about like this guy and his life and like uh-huh. why he ended up spending his whole life like working at this gas station and like yeah there's some something about like like his unappreciation of his own life and the possibilities that like warrants his death in a way yeah 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 i feel like that's what the that's the meaning i've made out of that line to woody harrelson about the Mm -hmm. rule like i feel like it's this deeply existential thing around like questioning our deepest like held beliefs and like what what is going to happen to those beliefs when you're staring death in the face yeah will they stand up or like woody harrelson where they just kind of like crumble into mm-hmm. this like desperate clinging it's true you're right i like the way you worded that something about like uh, a little bit ago like the uh how do your morals and values stand up against like the onslaught of the chaos you know because in in some way because okay, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that that connects um but because the coen brothers all their films do in some way deal with this something chaotic and then it's yeah well, what is the what are the value principled or moral uh, responses that the characters have? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man. I was just, 
I was just thinking the other day about the Big Lebowski and how much I love it that if, if you had to give a, sometimes I, something I like to do with really, really great movies to kind of like show off how great they are is give them the simplest explanation possible. And for the Big Lebowski, I think the simplest explanation that I can give is guy tries to get his rug back. <laughs> <laughs> But that is so far from encapsulating anything that that movie is about. <laughs> that could be so the brilliance of the Coen brothers. Like it does kind of like it's like this fractal thing where you like you can like, yeah, almost reduce you can reduce it to that. Like such mm-hmm. just like a simple banal thing. But somehow like all the chaos of the universe like starts to like, yeah. <laughs> like infuse that attempt Yes, like, and it just breaks in, and it just breaks into into life. And one of my favorite scenes in the Coen Brothers ever that that kind of encapsulates that is when they're just like sitting, getting ready to bowl, and everything's quiet. And then Kitana John Turturro storms over. He goes, "What's with this shit? What's with this bull? This day rest bullshit? It don't matter to Jesus." <laughs> just out of nowhere, just burst into them. Totally unhinged and screaming. Yeah. You're like trying about to be to f- about to fight them, except yeah. that Liam Liam's holding them back. But Liam, exactly. And it's just so even just like something simple like that, because I think at that point in the movie you think that you think you're not gonna see the Jesus again. And <laughs> it just shows up. Oh my god. It's just, oh, it's just amazing. It is. Now I can feel we're kinda like Tailing to the the conclusion here, but yeah. listener, if you're still with us, David Spitz, <laughs> uh, there's a, this something I still have to like just yes. make a make a little nod to in Jurassic World, a thing that made me laugh a lot, and like mm-hmm. it is that point in the snob where I've like laughed so much, I'm not sure how much laughing is still left in my system. Same, but it's uh, the hand, the the hand. That uh, was introduced in Jurassic World as apparently the very innovative training method of Chris Pratt to subdue raptors. Uh-huh. Where his prime training method is to raise his hand, like oh to stick his palm God. out at the raptor, stare it in the eyes, and like we said hey, in our hey. Jurassic World episode, like say like human commands to it that it could like listen and understand. And I mean, it was within a couple, like, like probably 15 minutes of this movie before, like, Pratt's doing the hand, like, mm-hmm. Blue, his raptor buddy, Pet, is, like, living in the woods around their, like, like hidden place where they've kidnapped that girl. And <laughs> it, like, runs over to either Dallas Howard or the clone, and Pratt comes to save the day just by raising his hand and, like, <laughs> subdues Blue by yeah. that. Yeah. And throughout the movie more and more characters started doing the hand like (laughs) like each scene he there was a scene with omar sai omar sai came back which was awesome in that like tavern scene yeah and we get him next to pratt both doing the hand to the raptor (laughs) wow you are so right just there's the absolute like I still think that the filmmakers think that was like cool and a good idea. <laughs> like the absolute ridiculousness of that and what we know about raptors from yes. all of the Jurassic Park movies that like, <laughs> there's no fucking way a hand raised is going to do anything to them except make them bite that hand off. 
<laughs> it's which blue even does to uh Krat at one point he kind of nips at him oh yeah blue's mad at pratt that's right because the He's, kid was taken I, or whatever yeah. yeah i'm gonna get her back i'm gonna i'm gonna get your baby back <laughs> You're so right. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed that when I saw it, but I, I didn't reflect on it enough that it, it did that classic thing where just like all of a sudden now everyone can do the special power, you know, <laughs> sort of like in the, the, the great, the big battle scene in X-Men three, when just all of a sudden all these people that just look normal just can like fly. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> but yeah. God. Yep. Is that all it took? Just a little hand, you know? Just a little hand. Yeah. And then Grant meets Pratt and he's like, Grady. I know, I know you, you, you learned how to train raptors. And he's like really interested in like how he did that. And then Pratt and Grant are getting approached by a raptor. Pratt raises the hand and Grant kind of looks at him and looks at his own hand, slowly raises his Grant hand. Oh my God. Grant's doing it. That's amazing. Yep. If only Grant knew in all the first, in the first and third movie that that's all it took, he would have just really, really saved a lot of time, could have saved... Muldoon, Samuel uh-huh. Jackson's arm. Yeah. You know, you know what they didn't revisit the fact that by the end of Jurassic World, Jurassic Park 3, Grant knew how to call for help in raptor tongue. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he knew how to speak raptor. Yeah, that little uh, little device that Billy had made. Yeah, from like early early era 3D printing there where he uh, printed their vocal, their larynx or whatever. Mhm. That mm-hmm. cool cool Billy. Yeah. I feel like Jurassic Park 3 might be a good note to kind of close this one out on because, yeah. you know, I don't know about you, but I could uh, I could go for a full-on JP3 snob because uh, yeah, I too. rewatched that and it is, I, I would agree with what many people actually say online, which is that it is way better than people give it credit for. <laughs> I, am, I am so excited because I don't know if I knew a... You know, I, I didn't have a good sense of quality, film quality back back when when I saw it twice in the same day. So uh-huh. maybe it, maybe a good revisit would help me help me appreciate what I missed those uh, you know eight hours I spent at that theater that day. <laughs> could could be could be. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah. Well, any uh, any last thoughts on Jurassic World Dominion <laughs> and all the layers of everything that it apparently evokes? Yeah, it evoked a lot. Uh, no, not really. You know, I, I, I've said that, uh, I, th- I think I've said all that needs to be said. I'm sure in future episodes, we'll continue this fun run of, of layering references, but particularly Jurassic Park references where we're referencing references we made in previous episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so meta. So meta. <laughs> I always loved you reference. And uh, <laughs> give me back my reference. <laughs> But yeah, how about you? Any final thoughts? Uh, just the last thing that came to mind, you know, thinking of the title. Um, I, you know, there's that stupid Avengers movie, Avengers Infinity War, that mm-hmm. we we ripped on that. How mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense, Infinity yes. War. Like, but <laughs> I feel like this movie would be better titled Jurassic Park Infinity, <laughs> Jurassic World Infinity. And I feel like this episode demonstrates that. Yes, you are so right. Wow, that would have been great. Yep. You but know, we got Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, Dom, Dom Cobb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they could have even had a like a, a a DNA sequencing system, an artificial intelligence DNA sequencing system that someone created for computers called the Infinity, because it's able to read strands of DNA which are 
insanely huge. And that's where the name could have been. We have right. the infinity. Dotson, have- Dotson had Wu invent the infinity. <laughs> Nedry was onto it. Yeah, Nedry knew about it way back when. Yeah. Back when he was experiencing financial hardships. <laughs> that's that's right. The whole source of like all his actions that <laughs> yeah. just set everything in motion. Exactly. Well, well this was fun. It's too bad it they didn't bring back Newman. They could have yeah. at least given him like a nephew, like get a new Nedry in there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. at least we got the Barbasol. Yes, that was at least good. Yeah. <laughs> all righty, listener. Well, thank you for joining us on this ride. And uh, yeah, thanks, listener. You're always, always welcome, David. <laughs> Aaron. <laughs> Aaron, yep. We do this for you. (laughs) Alrighty, have a good one. See ya.